Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to discuss lots of things, um, especially this concept. It's a, a very beautiful mystical concept called the Or Choser, which means the, the returning light or... It's a it's it's hard to translate exactly, but but you'll see some some very awesome awesome teachings uh, come out of this, and um, we actually touched on it a little bit last week in our discussion about Shabbos. But but uh, it's 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 a very deep deep idea. It's a little bit abstract. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start in a very very grounded place, to, uh, about as grounded as you can get. I'm gonna talk about potatoes, okay, and and the science of potatoes. Um, so. And and that I think will kind of give us a very sort of meat and potatoes kind of um, grounding for this like more mystical concept. So, so when I was I think I was in third grade at the time, uh, there was a a science experiment. We all had to do a science experiment, and I was a terrible procrastinator, and uh, you know I kind of waited for the last minute, and 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 my mom helped me find a science experiment that I could do, like, just with, without any work at all, right? And I, this, this phrase always stuck in my head, because it kind of sounds fancy. And when you hear what the actual experiment is, you'll, you'll see how ridiculously um, simplistic is it, 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 it actually was. So the name of the experiment was osmosis in the potato. <laughs> And I, again, I always like that because it just sounds so ridiculous. Osmosis in the potato. So, so my science lab experiment when I was in, I think it was third grade, was to show osmosis in the potato. Okay. I, I just like saying those words. Um, okay. So, so how do you do the science experiment? You take a potato and you stick it in a cup of water so that the potato is about just kind of like the bottom, say, third of the potato is in the water. And that's it. <laughs> that is the entirety of the science experiment, okay? So you can see how, as an eight-year-old, I was like, yeah, sold, sold. That, that's, that's all I have to do, stick this potato in a third of a cup of water, and I'm done. That's right, okay. So, so what was the actual experiment itself? Um... What what you saw, and you, you, if you look around, you, you may not have used the word osmosis before, but you'll see osmosis comes up in our daily lives all the time. What, what, it, what, what this experiment illustrated was that the bottom of the potato becomes wet, right? And over time, you'll see that the top of the potato also will become wet even though most of the potato is not in the water, by virtue of the fact that the bottom part of the potato is in water, the water will sort of climb up through the structure of the system and reach all the way to the top. So actually, if you think about it, it's, it's a pretty profound experiment. I mean, it's very easy to illustrate, but it shows you that if a little bit is in touch with something, ultimately the entire thing becomes imbued with it. Okay, so that, 
that can be applied in a very, very deep way. So, so the idea is like this. If something is already in the world, then slowly but surely, especially if it's the light of Hashem, if it's the light of redemption itself, if it's already in the world, slowly but surely, it's going to creep through and spread through all of creation. And that's really the process. That's all of life. That's, that's our lives. That's this world. That's history. That's creation. That's everything all, all in one potato, if you will, because <laughs> th- that's what's happening. Now, let, let's get a little deeper and um, see how this applies. And we're going to apply it to a, a Gomorrah in, in, in a very fabulous way, drawing on the Torahs of the Maggid of Mezrich. And um, of course, he was the successor to the Baal Shem Tov and also to Rav Frumer, who was the Rosh Hashiva of Hachmi Lublin, the greatest Torah institution in pre-war Poland, um, and uh, the successor to Rev Moshe Shapiro, the, the originator of the Daf Yomi. So we're going to hear all sorts of amazing Torahs, um, but it's all based on this idea of the Or Choser. So, so we're right at the doorway. Let's, uh, let's enter through now, okay? So as the Rambam says, God is beyond time. See, when we talk about, Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Haver says something very interesting about the word eternity. In, in Hebrew, we use the word netzach. Netzach means eternity, okay? So, so what is eternity? So if, if you asked me um, before I learned this, I would have told you that eternity is the endless expanse of time, right? It's just time everlasting. That, that's, that's eternity. And, you know, as Reb Shlomo might say, that's sweet and it's cute in terms of a definition, but it's much deeper than that. Eternity, netzach, actually is the dimension beyond time. In other words, when we're talking about eternity, we're talking about a place where time hasn't even entered into the picture. Time hasn't even been created. Because remember, time itself is a creation. Okay? That's a Torah thought that physics has confirmed. Modern physics has confirmed that time itself is a creation. Okay? In fact, the Vilna Gaon, who's writing, you know, in the 1700s, says that the word breishis in the Torah, in the beginning, remember, beginning, the word beginning itself is a time-related concept, beginning, middle, end, right? Beginning means time. So the very word breishis, which means beginning, signaled the creation of time itself. Okay, that's deep, that's amazing, and again, very consistent with modern physics. So time is a creation, but then we have a dimension beyond the creation of time, before the creation of time, and that's eternity. Okay, that's Netzach. That's really what Netzach is. Okay, so that's what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says. Now, now let's apply this to the, the Rambam, who's writing, you know, already in the 1200s, okay? So, or maybe it was the 1100s, so this is hundreds of years before then even. So the Rambam is telling you that since God is outside of time, right? Because he's before time, before the creation of time, that God sees all things time-related. God sees the past, God sees the present, and God sees the future as well. So all of history is before God. And of course, the amazing thing about Hashem is that he's within this world, but he's also completely beyond this world at the same time. 
You know, it's a, it's a very important, that's a very important duality to hold in your mind, because unless you've got that duality, that Hashem is very much in creation and completely beyond creation simultaneously, then you're not talking about Torah. You could be talking about other systems of religion, but not Torah. So, for instance, Spinoza got excommunicated because basically what he wanted to say is God is the world and the world is God. And that's, that's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a holy idea, the, God, the fact that God fills all of creation. But if you haven't got that extra thought that God simultaneously completely transcends creation and is beyond all limitations then you haven't got Torah and you haven't got Judaism. By the way, I, I heard this said, it's stuck in my mind, that's called panentheism, as opposed to pantheism. Pantheism, not Jewish. Panentheism, the idea that God is within nature and beyond nature at the same time, that, that's, that's Jewish. Okay. So, so the idea is that God is completely beyond time. God sees the past, the present, and the future all at once. But God is also within time as well. God is within and beyond. Right? God is within and beyond. Simultaneously. Okay. So, so what does that tell us? What's the very, very deep idea that comes from this? The deep idea that comes from this is that the future has already been created. That means that from God's point of view, God, God promised to bring Mashiach. God promised to perfect creation. But it's more than that. From our point of view, it's, it's a promise, because we, we, we don't see it yet. But from God's point of view, who's outside of time, who already sees the future, God already sees the perfection of the world that we're still in the middle of. So from the heavenly point of view, that level of perfection already actually exists. That's an, that's an awesome, awesome, awesome idea. I'll tell you a, a, a story from my life. Um, when, I, when I first started keeping Shabbos, so I was around 24 at the time, um, I, you know, I, I got connected with Reb Shlomo when I was 14, and it took me, you know, took me about 10 years to, to really, like, understand that this was this was my whole life. Um, and I remember going to Shul uh, on 79th Street, to the Karlbach Shul on 79th Street, and I was, I don't know, I was there maybe 15 minutes before what I understood to be Mincha at other places, something like that. And the lights were off in the Shul. I was literally the only one in the entire Shul, and the lights were out, right? Um, because they started a little bit later there, and all of a sudden I'm just sitting, you know, in that place by myself, and I see Reb Shlomo pokes his head in the shul. And, and you know, he greeted me, and, and he said to me um, that he was on his way to the mikvah. And I remember his words. He said to me, are you into the mikvah or not so much? Right? And I told him that I always wanted to go to the mikvah, but I didn't know how, like, like I didn't know what to do. So he said, come with me. So the first time I ever went to the mikvah in my life was with Reb Shlomo. It was the two of us. He took me. And I remember, I remember saying to him, 
I don't even know if I knew this Rambam yet. Maybe I did. I'm, I'm not sure. Or maybe I was just kind of thinking deeply. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I said to Reb Shlomo, I said, because I was putting these things together in my mind, I said, if God's outside of time, that means from God's point of view, he's already brought Mashiach. I remember saying that to him on the walk to the mikveh the first time. But here's what he said back to me. This is the reason why I'm telling you. He said, that's right. He said, that was correct. And then he said that that right now what we're doing is making vessels to receive that light which is already in the world. That's what the mitzvahs are. The mitzvahs are a way, when we perform the mitzvahs, when we keep the Torah, we make vessels out of ourselves and we make vessels out of this world in order to hold that light of perfection which is already in the world but hasn't quite entered our timeline yet fully, fully. We can smell it, we can taste it. You know, when there are moments when you absolutely can taste the gula, you can taste the redemption, you can smell the redemption, right? But, but the world isn't completely engulfed in it yet, right? Mashiach isn't here yet, but that doesn't mean it's not in the world yet. Okay, now we're going to go deeper I had a an awesome like little learning session with my son, Mendy. Menachem Mendel. He's he's actually named after the Kutzka Rebbe. His his bris was was on the yard side of the Kutzka Rebbe. And he's a he's a an Enikol, he's a descendant. Um so he was telling me this this Rashi um in in this in this Parsha in Buchu Kosai that we that we read on Shabbos. And um, very awesome teaching, which is that there are five times in Tanakh that Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, our Holy Father, that his name is spelled with a vav. Normally speaking, you don't spell Yaakov with a vav. But there are five times where it appears with a vav, the, the, the name Yaakov. And then you want to hear something wild? There are five times that Eliyahu, Eliyahu is the one who announces the arrival of Mashiach. There are five times in Tanakh when Eliyahu's name is missing above. Right? It's just spelled Eliyah. So, so let's put that together. Wait a second. That's an amazing, amazing, mind-bending correlation. Five times Yaakov has an extra vav, five times Eliyahu is missing a vav. So Rashi puts puts it together and he tells us something amazing. He tells us that Yaakov is holding on to Eliyahu's vav as collateral, as insurance, that Eliyahu is going to announce the arrival of Mashiach. So, you know, there's a lot we can say on that, and I'm going to give an explanation in a moment. But, but first of all, the precision of that is so awesome. And you see the divine hand of the Torah. This is one of 
thousands of instances where you see this stunning, stunning, stunning precision, stunning exactitude to the composition and the, just the, the tapestry of the Torah, how beautifully and amazing and divinely it's put together. Exactly five vavs go to Yaakov, exactly five vavs are missing from Eliyahu, and this is tied into the guarantee that the gu'ula, the redemption, is going to happen. Again, we'll explain exactly how it means that. But I just want to say an aside. So, when, when you see something like that, and maybe that resonates with you, maybe we need to give the, the explanation of it first for it to resonate more. So maybe I'll do that. Hopefully I'll remember what I'm about to tell you now. <laughs> see, I'll tell you what I think it means. And I'll just tell you something um, about these type of teachings to begin with. You know, when you see the, an outrageous gematria, like something that's like, wow, it just blows your mind. Like, how can this phrase correlate with that phrase? That's, that's amazing. It's amazing that it works out to the exact number. And again, you experience the divine hand of how God put together the entire Torah. So, so that's one way to access just the fact that the Torah is divine and that there's a God in this world. That's one way to do it. Other people struggle with it more. They, they say to themselves, okay, wait a second. Is, is the Torah divine? Is it really divine? Like, like, what's our history exactly? We left Egypt and then we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. And then, is this all really from God? Like, and everything like that. And they, they try to put it together um, like a, hist- a historian would. And they try to look at all the historical evidences. Is, is this... Is it really the case? Did this really, really happen? I want to tell you how I approach it. The way I approach it is from the fact that how is there even a world? In other words, I'm not looking at any texts at all when I think about these questions. When, when I hear Torahs and when I learn Torah, I see everything reaffirms what I'm about to tell you. But I'm just telling you I'm coming from a different approach, and you can come from a different approach too. This approach asks the question, how is there even a world? How is there even a me? How is there even a you? How is there even such a thing that we call consciousness? How, how is any of this possible? How does any of this exist and continue to exist? How? And then when you actually look up at the, the, the makeup, the composition of reality, when you look at the orbits of planets, when you look at the exact, the exact precision of orbital patterns, how can it be that something maintains that planets and stars and comets and all the rest, billions and billions, hundreds of billions of them, maintain their exact pattern in the presence of, of millions and millions, tens of millions of black holes, which are sucking light and sucking energy and sucking gravitational patterns into their maw at like rates that we can't even wrap our mind around. And yet everything continues exactly in this amazing divine choreography. How can it be that DNA is so exact? 
How can it be that the subatomic world is so exact? In other words, all you see is precision, precision and exactitude from, from planets, from solar systems, from galaxies, all the way down to quarks on the subatomic level. All you see is precision in the physical universe. And of course, the Torah is a reflection out of that. Because God made the entire world out of the Torah. The Torah reflects the precision of the universe. In other words, there's nothing realer than the table in front of you. There's nothing realer than the walls around you. There's nothing realer than the sun and the moon. And by extension, there's nothing realer than God and there's nothing realer than the Torah itself. So, so again, let's return back to this teaching and we're going to get back to the idea of the Or Choser, about the, the idea that the light of perfection is already in the world. We've got all these topics are still on the plate. We're still going to get to them. But what I want to do is, is tell you that when you hear an awesome thing like there's five extra vugs in... Yaakov's names in Tanakh, over the course of Tanakh, and five missing vavs from Eliyahu Hanavi, the one who announces the arrival of Mashiach. A lot of times, you your mind gets overloaded with the pyrotechnics, with the beauty of Torah, and, and you're struck by it, and then the mind shuts down. But the question is, when you see a teaching like that, what does it mean? <laughs> like, it's cool. It, it, everyone agrees. Very cool. What does it mean, though? And, and sometimes the mind shuts down to the extent that you, you can't even ask yourself that question because you're so overwhelmed by the beauty of the thing. And I know in my own learning, in my life, sometimes I'll be sitting on a teaching like that for 10, 20, or 30 years before my mind catches up to ask, what does it mean? Okay, so now I want to give you the explanation I gave my son yesterday at Shalashudas. It's meaningful to me. I, I hope it will be meaningful to you. So we know Avav, what is Avav? Avav is a, um, like a pipeline, right? Avav is that thing that, it's a straight line, that's how you write the letter Vav, it, it, it draws something down or it connects, okay? So in, in the divine name of Hashem, you have yud ke vav ke, right? That's, that's a, whenever you think about the, the four-letter name of Hashem, you should always uh, kind of think about it from above to below. That way you have a, a little bit of a map of the universe. Um, if I, if I actually could ask uh, everyone to, to mute themselves, that, w- that would be awesome. Um, so so the, the vav in the, in the yudke vavke, what that does is, that vav is drawing down the light from the upper realms. It's drawing it down into this world. So that's what a vav does. It, it draws down light, okay? So now, now let's go back to this teaching. You know, Yaakov, we say, Titan emes li Yaakov. Yaakov, Jacob, stands for truth. And we say, Torah emet, 
Torah stands for truth. So Yaakov Avinu stands for truth, and he stands for Torah. Okay? So, so when it says that Yaakov got these five vavs from Eliyahu to guarantee, Eliyahu, I'm holding on, I'm holding on to your vavs. I'm holding on to this aspect of you until you bring Mashiach, right? Well, well, we can ask a question on that, right? What do you mean you're holding it on to Eliyahu till, till he announces Mashiach? Isn't God the one who's going to announce Mashiach? Okay, so, so what does Eliyahu have to do with it? But Eliyahu is the one who announces Mashiach. Eliyahu is, so to speak, the pipeline through which Mashiach is going to flow into this world, right? Because he's the one who announces him. So what, what is the Torah saying? So now we can get to the point. The Torah is saying that Yaakov Avinu is saying the following. Until you bring Mashiach, I'm holding on to this pipeline, this vav. I'm holding on to this pipeline. Five vavs, five books of the Torah. I'm holding on to this pipeline through which the heavenly light of redemption can flow into this world. And how is it going to flow into this world? Through Torah. That means until you bring Mashiach, I'm going to be able to taste the light of Mashiach in this world through the Torah that we learn, through the mitzvahs that we do. This pipeline exists right now. These are the five vavs of Eliyahu that Yaakov Avinu is holding on to. He's holding on to this pipeline that even now you can experience the light of Mashiach and the taste of Mashiach. Because as we said, the future has already been created, it already exists, and that light of Mashiach is already in the world, but it has to be drawn into our timeline. Because it hasn't fully, fully absorbed in this world yet. But it's here. And when you do that, you have the Or Choser. Now we understand what the Or Choser is. This refracting light. This or choser means the light of return, really. That's what it literally means. In other words, it's already there, but now it's returning to this world. The or choser. Okay, now with that in mind, we're ready to roll up our sleeves and uh, let's actually dig in. Okay? So we have an unbelievable Gomorrah. By the way, everyone should make a note and learn these pages from the Gomorrah. Um, over the next uh, couple of weeks. It's very, very important. It's, uh, it starts on Mesech uh, de Shabbos, like the, the, the volume of um, Talmud uh, called Shabbos in the Art Scroll. It's volume three, if you, if you want to buy it. And it starts like at about page 86, 87, and then goes on to about page 89. And, all, and it, what it does is describes heavenly, heavenly teachings about the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And of course, we're going up to the date of Shavuos. We're about to celebrate the receiving of the Torah, which is an awesome day in the year, awesome spiritual opportunities. We'll, um, if we don't discuss it uh, today, we'll get a chance to discuss it, God willing, before Shavuos. Um, but, but basically, the teaching that I'm telling you right now is from these pages. It's uh, page 88b, if you want to look it up. Actually, I can give you a little more... Help on that. It's uh, P88. 
page 88b3 in the, in the Art Scroll Talmud, if you, if you want to look it up. Uh, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says a, uh, an amazing teaching. So, okay, you ready? Let's, uh, we're off and running. Let's go. So he says that every time that Hashem spoke one of the Ten Commandments, right? The Aseris Adibrus, the, the, ten, the Ten Sayings, really, right? The Ten Things, the Ten Utterances, right? You had ten with the, that God created the world with, and now you have ten where he's like really exposing all of the, all of the, all the wires of the world, right? All the inner workings of the world now. Like, we're really going to see, like, how the world works. Like, here are all the mitzvahs that God made the world out of, right? This is how the world works, okay? So every time God spoke a commandment, it says it was like kisses from his mouth, right? Again, it's so important that you appreciate that imagery, that when God spoke at Mount Sinai, they were like kisses from his mouth. And of course, that's taken from Shir Shirim, the Song of Songs, because, you know, it's all about that, that intimacy with God. You know, if, 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 you haven't, if you haven't gotten to a place yet, and as Reb Shlomo would say, I bless you, bless me back, that we should all be in this place of this intimate relationship with God. Right? Where God's your best friend in the entire world. That's what it's all about. And all the mitzvahs, all the mitzvahs are opportunities for us to cleave to God. Right? To be in a relationship with God. So, you know, that's why it's um, one day a year, we, to this day, the 10th of Teves, to this day, we fast over the fact that the Torah was translated. Because these kisses, can you imagine these kisses have been translated as the word commandments? I mean, can anything be more opposite? The, translating the word kisses as commandments? Like God is giving us this divine kiss, and in English... It's being translated as a rod for God to hit us with. Can you imagine? We, we fast. I fast. I'm sure many of you fast. To this day, over the fact that we, hear the, that we hear the word commandments instead of hearing the word kisses. In Hebrew, mitzvah means a connection. It means a connection. And I heard Reb Shlomo one time say, that all the mitzvot are divine pathways. That when you keep a mitzvah, you're walking down a different divine pathway, connecting heaven and earth, connecting God in this world, right? Lighting up your soul. That's what's going on. Okay, so let's get back to the Gomorrah. So the Gomorrah says that every time God spoke, that he filled the world with besamin, right? With like, Incense with a awesome smell, like this awesome, beautiful fragrance filled the entire world. Okay. So now here you see like the Torah mind at work. You ready? <laughs> like, 
If I just told you that, right, wouldn't you just be happy right there? Couldn't we just end it right there? God filled the world with a wonderful scent, a beautiful fragrance every time he spoke one of the commandments, one of the kisses from his mouth. Can't we just go, ah, and just call it a day right right there? But, you know, the Jewish people, right? The Jewish people, they want to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and they just, they don't want to stop. They say, God, you're infinite. So the understanding of you is infinite. I don't want to stop learning your will. So they asked the following question. If God filled the entire world the first time he spoke with incense, how is there room for more beautiful fragrance the second time he spoke? Like, everyone should be like laughing their head off right now. But the question is even being asked. Do you understand? How is there room in the world for more beautiful fragrance if the last statement was God filled the entire world with fragrance? Only a Jew would ask this question. So Rashi gives an explanation. And now Rav Frumer, right? The Rosh Hashiva of the greatest pre-war yeshiva in Poland, right? We're going to hear what Rav Frumer explains. So he brings the Rashi, because the Rashi has the explanation. The Rashi says, oh, you know how God did it? You know how... after the world got maxed out with beautiful, beautiful, awesome smell, you know how God brought more beautiful, awesome smell into the world? He blew all of that fragrance into Gan Eden, into the Garden of Eden. And now there was room in the world for more beautiful fragrance. So, again, you see the Torah mind at work. Rashi is writing in, I, th- I believe it's the 1100s, maybe it's the 1000s, so about a thousand years ago. But that's already about 2000 years after the Torah was given. So Rav Frimmer asked the following question, how does Rashi know that God blew the scent into the Garden of Eden? <laughs> I mean, again, you hear an awesome teaching like that, you go, oh, okay, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Actually, I never had the question to begin with. God filled the world with a beautiful smell. I'm good with that. Okay, you want to ask the question, how did God have room to blow more beauty into the world? Okay, thank you, Rashi. Rashi says he blew it into the Garden of Eden. I'm good. I'm good. Now there's more room for beautiful scent. I'm good. And now comes along Rav Fremur who says, how does Rashi know that he blew it into the Garden of Eden? Okay, so now, now we get a teaching from the Maggid of Mesrich. Rav Frimmer is going to bring from the Maggid of Mesrich. And, you know, if you're still wondering, why did I wake up this morning? <laughs> why did I wake up this morning? 
maybe it was to hear this Torah from the Maggid of Mesrich, because, you know, teachings like this, it's worth just being born for. Just if you could just hear one teaching like this in your life. So we have a, a verse in the Torah. Um, if you want to look it up, it's uh, it's in Breshis. It's, uh, let's see. It is chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to look it up. And it says that Hashem planted Gan Eden, Gan Eden Mikedem. Okay? This is the creation of Gan Eden. This is where Gan Eden itself, the Garden of Eden itself is created. This is where he tells you. Chapter 2, verse 8. God planted this garden and Eden, Mikedem. So what does Mikedem mean? Mikedem literally means in the east. Okay? Like there's a famous novel, East of Eden, right? That's, 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 this is uh, from the east. Okay. But everybody knows the Torah is endlessly deep. Mikedem also means something much deeper. It's not just talking about from the East. It means from before. So now, this is where the Maggid of Mezrich is really going to explain something very awesome to us about the Or Choser. Okay? You ready? He says, what does it mean that God made the Garden of Eden from before? Right? Because that's what it means. Mikedem. He created it from before. Okay. That's interesting. So, what is the Garden of Eden, first of all? It's, it's um, an amalgam. It is the repository. Right? The amassing of all of the Nachas Ruach all of the pleasure that God was going to have from mankind, all of the good deeds of mankind, God collected them all and he put them in the Garden of Eden. That's what the Garden of Eden was. That's what the Garden of Eden is. It's a collection of all of the good that human beings ever did. And remember, that's Jews and non-Jews alike. Like, one of the awesome things about Judaism that you can be so proud of, um, because it's so different from the other traditions, the other religions in the world, is that we say the tzedike umos ha'olam, the righteous of the nations of the world, all have a place in the Garden of Eden as well. Other major religions say, unless you're a member of our religion, you burn in hell. Can you imagine the ridiculousness of that? How awful and what a terrible lie that is? But Torah says that all of the, all of the good people of the world, right? All of them have a place in the Garden of Eden. And that the Garden of Eden itself is a collection of all the good things that human beings 
are ever going to do. And that's why it smells so good in Garden Gan Eden, right? Because because when you do something good, you get a a beautiful scent about you. Okay, but we still didn't address what the Maggid of Mesrich said. What about this key word, Mikedem, from before? Okay, so now, here comes the awesome thought. That before God created the world, he foresaw all of the good things that humanity was going to do. And he collected all of those deeds that human beings didn't even do yet. And he put them all together and he planted them in Gan Eden. <laughs> I'm going to say that again because that is super awesome. That is super awesome. Before the world was even created, Mikeda, from before, right? The Torah itself is saying it. Right? This is not, this is what the Torah itself has said. The Torah is telling you this. But it took the Maggid of Mesrich to explain it to us. But it was there the entire time. Before God created the world, he looked into the future and he saw all the awesome, beautiful things that human beings were going to do. All that pleasure we were going to give God, all that nachas ruach, all that besamim, all that sweet smell from our actions. And he gathered it all together and he planted it in Gan Eden. That's what Gan Eden is. That's what the Garden of Eden is. It was the planting of everything good we were ever going to do before we ever did it. Because that's the language of planting. Because when you plant something, you put it into the ground, and then you water it, and the sun shines on it, and you nurture it, and then it breaks through the ground and it becomes manifest in the world. Okay, now we're going to go further. We're going to go back to this beautiful scent that when God spoke with the kisses of his mouth and put this beautiful scent into the world, what happened... So Rav Frumer, right, the Rosh Hashiva of Hachmeb Lublin, right, explains to us that that beautiful fragrance that God put into the world when he spoke the mitzvahs, when he spoke the Torah, that beautiful scent were the winds from the Garden of Eden blowing into this world. In other words, all of the mitzvahs that the Jewish people resolved to do before the world was even created. All the mitzvahs that we were destined to do, that we wanted to do, before the world was even created. God took all of that desire for all of those deeds, and he planted them in the Garden of Eden. And then he blew that wind from the future, the Or Choser, he blew that wind of all the things that we were going to do. And since God sees the future, all those things that we did, even before we were created, all those things that we actually did before we were even created. And he blew them into the world from the Garden of Eden. (laughs) And we then, at Mount Sinai, accepted the Torah 
that we already accepted and we were performing before the world was even created. And then Rob Firma goes even deeper. He says, what does it mean that God looked into the Torah and created the world? What does it mean that the world was created contingent on the Jewish people performing the Torah? That God looked into the future and he saw us performing the Torah, saw us accepting the Torah. And based on that, based on the energy of us accepting the Torah before the world was even created, he created the world out of that energy of us accepting the Torah. And then when he gave us the Torah, he blew that energy of us accepting the Torah before the world was even created, and he blew it into us. And we smelled the light of our desire and our dreams to do God's will before the world was even created. And then we did it. We became one with our dreams of ourselves and the world and our relationship with God. He blew that wind, that or choser, from before the world was even created into the world, into ourselves. And we became one with our ultimate potential. Ultimate closeness. Ultimate closeness. Through the Torah. And that's how Rav Frimer says that Rashi knows that God blew all that spice into Gan Eden to make room for more spice. Because where did that spice, where did that beautiful scent come from to begin with? It came from Gan Eden to begin with. That's how Rashi knew that that's where Hashem blew it back to. Because that's where God got it from to begin with. Because God himself planted that beautiful scent in the Garden of Eden. Mikedim, from before. Can you imagine at Mount Sinai we tasted the people that we wanted to be and were becoming at that moment? Can you imagine at that moment, can you imagine like all the dreams for yourself, all the dreams that you have for the world, and then, in a moment, experiencing them becoming a reality? That's what happened at Mount Sinai. That's why death disappeared. That's why we reached the level of Adam and Chava before the world was created. It says, when Hashem spoke at Mount Sinai, there was no echo in the world. It was total silence and there was no echo. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains, what does that mean? There was no echo in the world when God spoke at Mount Sinai. He says the physics of an echo is that sound bounces off something that it's not. So like in the Alps, when you, when you yodel in the Alps, right? Your sound waves bounce off a mountain and then you hear the repetition of that, of that sound again. But when Hashem spoke at Mount Sinai, He showed that the only thing that exists in the world is God Himself. There is nothing other than God in the entire world. There is nothing for the sound of God's voice to bounce off of because there's nothing other than God. All that exists is God. And at that moment, we ourselves became one with God, one with His will. 
that sound couldn't bounce off of us because at that moment we achieved being what we initially imagined ourselves to be and what God created the world out of. Our hopes and our dreams for this world. As Rabbi Shlomo says, and I'll quote it till my last day, with God's help, that what's the Torah? The Torah is God's dreams for the world. And when you keep the Torah, when you keep the, the mitzvahs, you dream God's dreams and you pray God's prayers. Some people think that tshuva, oh, I did bad, now I got to do tshuva. Like tshuva is a homework assignment, tshuva is a penalty. Tshuva is so much more beautiful and tshuva is so much deeper than that. Tshuva is this endless, ongoing return to our source. You know, the Chose of Lublin, every day he would say, today I'm going to be at Tzadik. Today I'm going to be at Tzadik. I mean, I don't know if there were many greater tzaddikim than the Chose of Lublin in the history of the world. But from the Chose's point of view, from the Seer of Lublin's point of view, Today I'm going to be a tzaddik. You see, God is infinite, and our soul is a little piece of God. It's a little piece of the infinite. Right? But there's levels of infinity. Mathematics teaches this. There are levels of infinity. So we're a little infinity surrounded by a great infinity, which means that there's endless heights. So even the Chos of Lublin can say, today I'm going to be a tzaddik. Today I'm going to be a tzaddik. Today I'm going to do tshuva. Today I'm going to return. And that, that path of returning is not the, necessarily the, the beating, itso- beating myself up. How could I have done that? Okay. There, there's a little bit of that too. But it's mostly that longing and that tshuva me'ava, that love. Remember, ava is gematria echad. Love and oneness is the same number. Because through love you become one. Through our love of God we become one with God. Through our love of the mitzvot and our performance of the mitzvot, we become bound and tied to God. And so all of life is that endless return to that to the purity of us speaking those words and desiring those desires before the world was even created, that we wanted to keep the Torah. And then God took those desires and He created the world. And at Mount Sinai, all of those things came together. Okay. Have a great week. So, so again, again, the, the idea is like this. Before the world was even created, what does it mean that God looked into the Torah and created the world? Okay? So Rav Frimmer is going to give us an answer. Before the world was even created, 
God saw that the Jewish people were going to accept the Torah. See, it says that, and then from that energy of seeing that the Jewish people were going to accept the Torah and do all these awesome mitzvahs, from that energy itself, out of that energy, God created the world. And then God planted all of those good things that we were going to do, that the whole world was going to do. He collected all those beautiful deeds and he put them in one place. And that place is called the Garden of Eden. That's the definition of the Garden of Eden. That's what the Garden of Eden is. All the future things that we were ever going to do before we ever did them. And he made that the Garden of Eden. And then God blew a wind from the Garden of Eden into this world, right? When he gave the Torah. That's what it means that when every time God spoke the mitzvahs at, the, at Mount Sinai, that a wind came into this world with a beautiful fragrance. That was all of the deeds that we longed and resolved to do before the world was even created, and that God, through being infinite, was able to foresee that we were going to do. So all the deeds that we actually did before the world was even created, because God can see in that way, because God is infinite, God then reacquainted us at Mount Sinai with all of the dreams that we had for ourselves and for the world. That, that's what I was saying when I got excited and started yelling for five minutes, okay? That's it, okay? Well, Here, here's a thought that I think um, a very practical thing that I... I, I I, I hope that you'll take from this because um, this is kind of a breakthrough thought and maybe we didn't um, connect it fully. But, but too many people, in my opinion, people who are sincere and who are, let's say, quote-unquote believers, right? But they just haven't kind of wrapped their mind around this idea yet. So I'm going to share it with you. They... They believe, quote-unquote, that, um, that the end is coming, meaning to say Mashiach is coming. They believe, right? In, in, their, in their mindset, in, in their um, understanding of the world, the, their vision of the mechanics of the world, if you will, it's something that hasn't happened yet. And so they're hoping it will happen. Right? And, and so it doesn't, so in their mind, it doesn't exist yet. So they, they believe God will do it because God is good. But he hasn't done it, and maybe he's not going to do it. Maybe it's never going to happen. But I believe it is going to happen. That, I think, is a description of many, or the majority perhaps, of quote-unquote believers. What, what we're saying right here, right now, is that that's not how to look at it. That there's a much more profound and simultaneously much 
realer understanding of what's going on, which is that it already exists. It already exists since God exists outside of time. It's already been created. The Messianic era, Olam Haba, is already there. And now it's just a question of channeling that light, which we're calling the Or Choser, into this world. Creating those pipelines. So mitzvahs are pipelines. When you, when you, when you do a mitzvah, you're channeling that light from heaven into this world. But it already exists. That's the point. That's the point. So, so I, 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 I came up with this little piece of math, right? And it, it looks kind of funny on the page. Maybe I'll put it in the chat box right now. Okay? Um, so, let's see if I can, see if I can send this to, to everyone. Okay, so check the chat, chat box. Um, so it's, Okay, that, that's it. Those two lines are it. Optimism equals truth because there really is a happy ending. <laughs> that's the... In fact, I, I'm thinking of writing a book and that's the title. That would be great. Opt, optimism equals truth and then in parentheses underneath because there really is a happy ending. And again... The, the thing is, is that we, it's not that we believe that there will be a happy ending. <laughs> it's already been created. That's the point. That's the idea of the Or Choser. Okay? Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.